Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Hey, today we're continuing our series entitled The Invitation. Uh, and it's out of the book of Acts. And, and several weeks ago, uh, I wrote today's sermon from the 17th chapter in the book of Acts. Now, if you're one of those people that start looking early, stop, because we're not going to do that. Um, but uh, Glenn, I saw you go for it, buddy. That was good. You didn't even have to use the table of contents, bro. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well done. But hang on. Now, in the 17th chapter of Acts, there's, it's a great story going on. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he, he does something that's pretty fascinating. The Bible says he is reasoning with a crowd made up of Jews and Greeks. Now, to put it all in context, what makes it kind of funky in that is that you got people there who know nothing about the story of Jesus yet. You've got people there who are rich and steeped in Jewish tradition and you have folks there that don't have any faith system at all, which is kind of like coming into a church like Sugar Hill. You got folks who are steeped in, you know, some type of, of, of tradition in church. You got folks here today who have no faith system at all. And then, then you have a little of everything in between. And this is what Paul, he's talking with. And he says in chapter 17 that, that he was reasoning with these folks. Now, to put this in context, it also said he was teaching and reasoning with this broad group of people. And the word reasoning there is where we get our present word dialogue from. And reasoning, as Paul was with them, wasn't a one-way conversation. He was entertaining questions and concerns. And this is why Paul is the guy who says to us with great fervor that we need to have a defense for our own faith, why we believe what we believe. And so uh, Dr. Gresham and I have been doing this class together uh, about having a grid, a biblical system for how you make decisions, especially decisions that we, decisions that we would consider like culture war kind of decisions today. And, uh, and in the 17th chapter, what, what we find out is that many of these people come to faith in Christ, both Jews and Greeks and all in between. And it makes this point of letting us know that there were men, there were women, there were people from all faiths and no faiths. But when, when he reasoned with them, when he had a dialogue with them, he wasn't afraid and he wasn't argumentative when they asked questions. And I really believe that one of the great and strong tenets of our faith ought to be such that we can have a defense for why we believe what we believe. Not just, well, the preacher said it, so that's what we ought to believe. And so uh, I was on a plane coming home this past week. I had to make a quick trip uh, out of town. And so I was flying home Wednesday evening and uh, I was flying cattle class in Southwest and you got the three seats over there and I'm sitting on the, on the, on the aisle. Dude over on the window is about my size and dude, last dude coming on on plane and the last seat available is this center seat. And I look at him and he looks at me and we both thought, oh, dear Lord, <laughs> there is nothing good going to come from this. So immediately I start praying, Lord, please send some skinny person that would look upon us with compassion and take this middle seat so he doesn't. <laughs> Let me just say to all you skinny people, 
what happened to your compassion? Not one of them stepped up for me. So when we got wall to wall, we had ourselves a flight now, let me tell you. So I had my iPad ad open. I was adding some final touches, highlighting stuff that I wanted to say, you know, in the 17th chapter of Acts. And, and middle seat dude says, what's that? Well, let me just stop and say, on a plane, I'm not exactly chatty Cathy. I mean, I, I'd be cool if, if I wore a hat that said, just leave me alone, you know? Right, so so I'm, I'm highlighting my things. What's that? I suppose my Bible. He said, get out of here. Nowhere to go. Stuck. So, I said, you want to read it? Nope. Okay, you sure you don't want to read it? Yep. I said, do you have a Bible? Nope. Would you like a Bible? Nope. And I'm thinking, Lord, this is not, un this is just not cool. I mean, why wouldn't you send me some really sweet skinny person who would be accepting of the gospel? And let me have a great story for Sunday how they broke out and wept in tears and they, none of that happened, nothing. He blew me off like you cannot imagine. I mean, seriously, I, I didn't even tell him I was a preacher, which is a certain kiss of death, you know? By the way, if you are a preacher and you're flying, never tell them you're a preacher because the minute you do, it's like, get behind me, Satan, you know? So I'm, I point out this one word and I said, would you just read that word? Sure, reasoned. He said, what's that mean? I said, well, so we kind of get our word dialogue. Oh, he never said another word, not one word. And, and I thought to myself, you know, Paul had some of that too. But then I got, I got to thinking about this wonderful sermon I'd written, which is in my notes here for the 17th chapter of Acts. And I couldn't get over the fact that in that 17th chapter of Acts, where it talks about how Paul was reasoning with these people, there's a reason why Acts chapter 3 happens 14 chapters ahead of Acts 17. And then I thought, wow, maybe, maybe the church is confused about her reasoning capacity with a world that says no. Maybe we have a problem with our reasoning and dialogue with people that say no. The vast majority of people at Sugar Hill Church have had some kind of faith background. And, and many of them have had some type of mainstream evangelical background. Then we've got a lot of folks who've come to, to Sugar Hill Church that have a Catholic background. We've got folks that, that may have Pentecostal backgrounds. We have folks who come from Presbyterian backgrounds. We, we got a little everything here. But whatever it was that formed your faith as, as a younger person, even if it was no faith, you bring whatever that baggage is to the party. And, and whatever you bring in here comes with a heavy dose of trying to figure out what you believe is right and what you believe is wrong and what the church does is right and what the church does is wrong. And then we kind of formulate our opinions and we wind up at a church that we'll call home and some of us stay for our lifetime and some of us last for a few years until we get mad at somebody and then we're gone or the, the church lets you down in some way and then we're out of here. But the reasoning somehow gets lost in the interpretation of religion. Not an amen there, not one. When the reasoning gets lost for the art and sake of religion, we have forgotten the reason for which we're here. And so today, I want you to find Acts chapter 3, and I want to go back to a text that might help us reason what the church is here for. And in particular, let me make sure you understand what Sugar Hill Church is here for. 
You see, I don't have to answer for Gwinnett Church. I don't have to answer for Twelve Stone. I don't have to answer for First United. I don't have to answer for any of those, but I do have to answer for this church. And you do too. Because see, it's not my church. And in the truest sense, it's not your church. But we are stewards of his church. So we better make sure our reasoning has reason so that our dialogue can actually be two ways. And I believe it starts in Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And here's what the text says. Now, Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, everything we're going to find in these first 12 verses, everything has a unique reason for which it's there. And the first reason we find is that Peter and John are going together to go to a church meeting. They're going to a prayer meeting. Now, we know that because around three o'clock in the afternoon, and by the way, at that time uh, in, in history, uh, time was kind of relative, but, but three o'clock was a good time kind of, okay, that's the prayer meeting. And John and Peter, the scriptures say, are going to this meeting at the temple together. Now you say, well, that, that shouldn't be a big deal. I mean, both these guys are apostles. Both these guys walk with Jesus. Both these guys know what's going on. So of course they go together. No, no, not really. These are radically different people. I mean, Peter's one of those guys who's kind of a rough cussing fisherman, just, you know, he kind of stumbled into trying to find grace. He's the kind of guy that starts wars and finishes wars. He's the kind of guy, that just, if it comes in his mind, it's coming out his mouth. I mean, Peter's one of those guys that no rule has really ever applied to Peter. And then John, on the other hand, he, I mean, literally he's got his Jerusalem AT&T iPhone 7 with a task list and he builds it every day and sticks to the plan and works the plan. As a matter of fact, the first task he writes down for his task list is to make a task list. John's got it together. I mean, he's, he's all, all of John's life is in place. It's good. Everything is right. And Peter and John are going together. Now, don't miss this because the picture in the book of Acts is that uniquely different people were going together for a common purpose. And that purpose gave them a greater reason to go together. The picture here is that black families and white families, Hispanic families and Asian families, and anything and everything beyond and between are to go together to the house of prayer. That we're called to be together. That, that whether we like it or not, if you don't like hanging out with people different than you, you're going to be miserable in heaven, assuming you go there. Because it's in the middle of that, we find that togetherness is all a part of God's creation. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So we know God is all about community and his creation. Peter and John are going together to the church for a prayer meeting, and it's an important church prayer meeting. Now look what happens in verse 2. And a man who was lame from his mother's womb was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful. So he could beg from those entering the temple complex. So if you get the picture, Peter and John going together, going to the church meeting, dude is sitting next to the gate they call the beautiful gate. When you walk into that gate, you are now on the temple complex. You can literally walk up to the gate beautiful today in Jerusalem. And he, he, he was sat there every single day of his life. 
We don't know about his personal hygiene. What we do know is that he would be considered in that community as unclean. You wouldn't touch him. You wouldn't have anything to do with him. And the people that brought him probably had a massive wide stretcher where they didn't have to touch him physically because in that system of, of governance in the day, he would have been not only unclean, but he would have made you unclean. And so every day he is at the gate. Now, he may have been brought every day. He may have been brought once a week, but there he was. And you, you can imagine as difficult as times were in that, what it would be like to not be able to do anything but ask and beg for what you needed. And then in verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. Now, don't miss this. He sees Peter and John headed toward him, and he's thinking, okay, these two guys look like they're going to Sugar Hill Church for the prayer meeting, but they're, they're, they're late because Peter had to stop by and get a latte. And John's saying, like, dude, you're killing me. We got to go to church. They're, they're, I don't like being late. I, when I'm late, the ushers bring me to the seats up front. I like to pick the back seats. Why do they always have to bring me up front when I got my latte? You know? And so they're thinking, okay, we're, we're running behind. We got to go. And here's this guy sitting by the gate like he does every day. And he sees these two guys. And he's thinking, okay, I'm about to have a win here. They're going to church. Surely they're going to stop, right? Surely they're going to give me what I need to cure this ailment. And then in verse 4, Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, look at us. Now, if John had been the person saying that, knowing there were hundreds of people in attendance and around the, be the beautiful gate at the day on the way to the temple complex, John probably would have said, hey, bud, listen, I want to sit down over here. I want to walk you through this tract. I want to share with you that if you go over to the Jerusalem co-op, we, we got folks there that can help you. As a matter of fact, at church, we have a team of people that like people like you. They'll actually come back and help you, but I got to go. I got to get the church meeting. I gotta, I'm, I'm a big dog in the synagogue, man. I got to go. But Peter says, hey, look at us. Now, what we know about Peter, he probably didn't say it like that. He probably said, hey, look at us. Now, at that moment, you might be thinking, Peter, dude, it's all about you. It's always about you. But Peter wasn't saying, hey, look at Peter. Peter wasn't saying, hey, look at John. Peter was saying, hey, look over here because you're about to witness the feet of Jesus as they walk towards you. You're about to witness the eyes of Jesus as they weep with compassion with you. And you're about to feel the hand of Jesus as it reaches down and holds you. Here's a question for you. When is the last time you could say to anybody, hey, look at me, and what they would see is not you, but Jesus? When is the last time where you work or at your kid's ball field or when you're on the golf course or when you're playing tennis or when you're, when you're at Publix or whatever? When's the last time somebody would look at you and say, hey, look at us? And you, they wouldn't see you, they'd, they'd see Jesus. You see, Peter said, hey, look at us, and they could, they, that guy could look right past them. You see, they, they had been turned on to being able to have great and wonderful compassion because that's what they'd seen Jesus do. When, when Jesus would walk by somebody in great need, what would he do? He'd stop. And they, they're thinking, this is the real deal. This is what we're called to do. The Spirit of God has come that we might do this. So look at what happens. And John looked at him intently and said, look at us. Peter, along with John, looked at him. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. Isn't that perfect? 
he turns to them after they said, look at us, and he's expecting the cure for his ailment, which is money. By the way, as, as the presidential debate is about to start up, I don't think I'm the only one that's just weary of this. I mean, it just seems so silly to me, the whole thing. I, I would just like to, for everybody to call a truce and talk about something that matters. But you see, I would say these debates and this, this entire election cycle has a great lesson to learn here. You see, I think America is just like this guy sitting by the gate beautiful, asking for what they think will cure the ailment. You know what we need? We need, we need more money. You know what we need? We need more government assistance. You know what we need? We need more education. You know what we need? We need more insurance. You know what we need? We need more programs. You know what we need? We need more boys and girls clubs. You know what we need? And we just keep on going over and over. And you know what we need? Know what we need? Know what we need? And this guy's sitting there every day saying, I know what I need. I need, I need dimes and nickels. I need dollars. This is what I need. And so he looks at these two and, and he's expecting something from them. But Peter said in verse six, I have neither silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. Now, is that not fascinating? What I do have, I'll give you. Peter is saying, watch this. I don't have what you think you need, but I do have what I know you need because I'm going to unload the whole clip for you so you get everything I have. Now, I find this fascinating that they were going together and they stopped with great compassion. And out of that compassion, they spoke with great power. Because Peter's saying, okay, you think that if I throw a few bucks in there, it's going to fix it. But it won't. I know what will. And I'm going to give that to you. Now, this is a big deal right here, if you'll grasp this. Every time you see a physical miracle that happens in the scriptures, there is always an equal and greater spiritual miracle that is necessary. Every miracle is a picture, not just of the physical ailment, but of the spiritual ailment as well. And so what we find is Peter is saying, okay, everything you think you need, I don't have. But what I do have, I'm going to give it to you and listen to the power and the freshness with which he speaks. So he turned to them. I have neither silver nor gold. What I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now, can you imagine the laughter of dozens and dozens or hundreds and hundreds of people around that gate? Can you imagine them thinking, oh, this is going to be good. This dude who walked with Jesus, he thinks that the spirit of God's going to let him do this and make a mockery of our religion. And he's just going to look at this guy who's never walked, who's never had strength in his feet or his ankles or his legs. And he's going to say in the name of Jesus, the one that died, get up. Oh, it's better than that. The scriptures say then that he took his right hand and reached down to touch that man. Remember when I said he was unclean? It was, to, it was to the degree that he is unclean. And if you touch him, you're unclean. And so Peter's saying, forget all that junk, man. That's not what this is about. Now, remember, you remember the reasoning part in chapter 17? The dialogue? I want you to think about the dialogue is going on here in, in chapter 3. I don't have what you think you need. I don't have more education. I, I, I don't have more boys and girls clubs. I'll tell you what I do have. I, I'm, I'm going to give you what you know you need. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. 
Can you imagine how fresh that was to this guy? I mean, he thought he was going to get a nickel or two. And what he gets is somebody who says, stand up in the name of Jesus, stand up. And then takes his right hand, reaches down, holds him by the hand. And look what happens. This is crazy good. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, stood and started to walk. And he entered the temple complex with him, walking, leaping and praising God. And you would too. If you never walked before, you'd be tearing up something, wouldn't you? And you know what would happen? He would walk in these doors and he would smell because he probably hadn't had a bath in a few months. He was in tattered, nasty clothes. And he'd walk in and all of us church folks would look at him and think, dude, that's different. I'll tell you what, let's find the right place for him to sit. Bro stinks. But I'm telling you, man, he didn't care. Walking, leaping, dancing, praising the Lord. Wouldn't you be? If you never walked before, tell me you wouldn't get out of your rut and you just go at it, right? Listen, if I never walked before and Peter looks at me and says, look, watch this. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk, reach down, hold your hand, lift you up. Now, the, the part about the hand, now this is really important. The text doesn't say that he ah, pulled him up. It said he raised him up. Now, there's a difference because when he reaches down and takes him by the hand, what is it that allowed that guy to be able to stand? It wasn't Peter's hand. That's what steadied him. What stood him up was the presence and the power of Jesus giving him strength where he had no strength. So if you stood earlier and you're looking for strength where you have no strength, Peter is pointing the way to what Sugar Hill Church is here to do to help you find that strength and to know that that strength is found and grounded in the presence of Jesus. They go together. They stop with this great compassion. They speak with great power. But look what happens in verse 9. All the people saw him. And what did they see him doing? Walking and praising God. And they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple complex. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. You see, I really do believe Sugar Hill Church, God didn't put us here to care about how cool we could be. He didn't, he didn't birth this church 131 years ago for us to lay down and play dead like what happens in the world doesn't matter to us. Like, this church does indeed exist for people that aren't here yet, but let me also say it exists for you too. Because we're to come here and feel so at home in God's home that we're encouraged and we're strengthened and somebody helps lifts us up so we can go out there and say, hey, look at us and people see Jesus. That's why Sugar Hill Church is here. And you say, well, Chuck, all that's great, but we pay you to do that. Well, according to the book of Acts, that's our job. I want to do my part of our job, but I want to invite you to do your part of our job. I want to invite you to look at people and say, hey, I don't have what you think you need, but why don't you just come join me? Look beside you. If there's an empty teal chair, raise your hand. Keep it up. Keep it up. Okay, now, while you got your hands up, let me, let me go ahead and do this. I want to, now I keep them up. I want to swear you in as deputies of the church. Because <laughs> you know why that seat's empty? You didn't stop and tell everybody at the Gate of Beautiful this week that you knew where an answer was. Thanks, you can put your hands down now. Thank you for agreeing to do that this week. Y'all are such cooperative people. 
The people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized it was the one that was sitting there. They saw him, and yet they saw a new him, like you do. Isn't that great? They saw him. They knew it was him, but they looked at him and they said, that's, that's different. That's why Sugar Hill Church is here. Your marriage is falling apart? Man, how about a few months from now, people look at that same couple, but whoa, look at that couple. Your kid's out of whack? Man, that kid's wacky. What, a few months later, wow, look at that kid. That same kid, but not the same kid. That's the same you, not the same you. And people were filled with awe and wonder as they looked at that. Maybe the best part of the story, past going together, past stopping with compassion, past speaking with great power, I want you to see how humble these guys were. This is what blows my mind. All right, watch this in verse 10. And they recognized it was the one that used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. And while he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, greatly amazed, ran toward them in what's called Solomon's colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made him walk? In other words, they went to church with him. What they didn't say was, hey, we have a committee at our church that loves people like him. They brought him into the church. Now watch this. He, he, he offered nothing in the way we think people offer something to the church. He didn't have any money to give. He didn't have a nice car to park out front. He didn't have a pool in his backyard so we could have a fundraiser with him. He didn't know how to do a small group. He didn't even know what it was. But what he had was something filled with awe and astonishment that God had done something in his life that took him from being, hey, that's him, to wow, look at him. And when you look at it through that eye and through that lens, I think at some point what we have to say is, why isn't that happening day after day after day? Because we're not doing our part of our job. Stopping with compassion and speaking with power. Well, Chuck, I'm, I'm just not that kind of person. Sure you are. Sure you are. Well, Chuck, but I, you know, I, don't, I'm not, I don't want to preach. I don't want to judge. Then don't. Don't judge. Don't preach. Don't get all freaked out. What if it was this, this simple? Hey, man, I know you're going through a tough time. What? Just join me at church Sunday over at Sugar Hill Church. They got plenty of empty teal chairs. And then Peter, he starts addressing these folks. I mean, they're, they're ready to give him his own TV program. I mean, he's going to be on TBN with all the gold and purple junk. He's going, he's, going, he's, going, he's going to do some cool stuff, man. Because look what he just did. That guy right there. Now that, maybe we could latch on to him. And Peter says, whoa, it wasn't me and John. It wasn't us, bro. This was God at work through us, in us, for us, and for you. You see, when you look at life through that lens, all of a sudden you know why we're here. We are here to do this together black and white and purple and brown and orange and pink, we're, we're in this deal. And God made no mistake when he brought you to be a part of this deal. And yeah, you don't agree with everything we do. I don't agree with everything we do, to be honest with you. Just, but we're trying to do like Peter and John where we might 
we might go into this world together to make a difference and we'd stop with compassion. And when we stop with compassion, we'd be able to speak with authenticity and power. And out of that, people would be filled with awe and amazement at what God has done. And then we could say, but it wasn't us. It's not Sugar Hill Church. It's God, the one who birthed this church 131 years ago, the one we came to worship, the one we came to praise, the one we sing about, the one we pray to. It's him. So today... I, I guess I would say there's, there's two or three kinds of people in the room. One is some of you like the beggar. You come today and I need help. I guess I got to have a break, Chuck. This world's killing me. Some of you like Peter and Johnny. Man, you're a big shot in the church and you've been doing church stuff for 30, 40, 50 years. But now you've done so much church stuff, you don't know how to look with compassion on people unlike you and you walk by them every day. And then there's a third group. It's people kind of on the periphery. They're around the gate. They're seeing what's going on. And they're thinking, man, let's just see which side's going to win before we vote. I don't know which one you're in. I know which one I want to be in. I, I want to have the courage of Peter and John. I want to say, hey, look over here. Because you're not going to see Chuck, you're going to see Jesus. I'd like to say that, but you know what? I fail miserably at that. Don't you? But there's no reason why you stop. Because I'll promise you there are people sitting by the gate, beautiful, all around North Gwinnett and South Forsyth. They're everywhere. They're in this room. So what if we just, what if we committed to say, you know, this is why Sugar Hill Church is here, that we might actually go together, that we might, might actually stop with great compassion, that we might actually speak with great power, and we might see God do something that we're filled with awe and amazement in. And then we might be able to say, yeah, because it's all him. It's not us. There's, there's not enough cool to do that. There's not enough hipster music to do that. You can't wear enough skinny jeans to do that. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened because when they saw him, they said, that's him. But wow, that's a new him. Some of you today need a new you. Let's pray. If today is your day for a new you, then the solution is pretty simple. Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. I'm sorry I've made a mess of my life. I've made selfish decisions and I made sinful decisions and I'm sorry. And the Bible says you just call on his name. You say, Chuck, I don't know anything about religion. I don't know anything about how to call on his name. And it's really this, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying for me, for raising for me. Jesus, I'm going to trust you to forgive me and give me a home in heaven. I want to turn my life around. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for you. That's calling on the Lord. And so today you might say, I, I, I need a little of that awe and astonishment to happen in my life. Lord, come do that in my life. Some of you are like Peter and John. You, You've been in church work for so long, you've lost the ability to stop with compassion when you see need because we're, we're more concerned about the church. Oh, my friend, let's don't ever be the church that's so busy we forget about people. And then some of you are bystanders. You're watching to see what's going on and, and you're looking and saying, man, I want in on that. I need a little awe and astonishment in my life. Then just return to Jesus and say, I, I want you. I need you. Change me. Lift me up. Raise me up. So, Lord, today, 
We're going to trust you to do what only you can do. That you'd reach down with your right and mighty hand and grab us by the hand and lift us up in your power and your strength. Break our hearts to go together. So stop finding what's wrong with the world and start finding all that is right with you. To stop with compassion when we see folks that are in need, to speak with power and authenticity that comes from a relationship found in you and you alone. And, and then, God, when, when you do what you do, that we just get out of the way and be able to recognize, wow, Lord, thank you for what you've done. So God, in all three of those groups today, breathe truth and peace and hope into our life. And I pray that in the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.